You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there, and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before Yahweh. Why have you brought the assembly of Yahweh into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them, and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before Yahweh, as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore... You shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with Yahweh, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, And we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to Yahweh, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. 
Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. And they journeyed from Kadesh. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. Moses did as Yahweh commanded. And they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 636 of this podcast. Today is Monday, June 12th, 2023. And in this episode, we are going to actually keep it brief. We are going to keep it brief because I have not as much time as I typically do. We're going to talk exclusively about Numbers chapter 20, because there's a lot going on here in this chapter that I think bears keying in on. It bears focusing up. And I actually would rather talk about this passage than I would talk about current events items for this episode. Not that I'm going to stop in the future talking about current events, but in this episode, I don't want us to miss what is happening, what's going on, what to this point in 
the narrative of the Old Testament has now culminated in Moses not being allowed to see the promised land. You have the passing of Miriam, Moses' sister. And if you remember, a few chapters back, we had Miriam and Aaron both grumbling against Moses, but more to the point, as God saw it, grumbling against God. And then in short order, you have the people of Israel grumbling against God. You have Korah's rebellion. You have this constant agitation within the people to put Moses and Aaron and Miriam aside, or maybe to only put away Moses, or maybe to stone Joshua and Caleb, or maybe you have Miriam and Aaron seeing something of an opportunity. They see something of a link between Moses having married this Cushite woman and a larger complaint about Moses, a larger fault finding with Moses. And what's curious here is how little time is put into Miriam having passed. For as much as she featured at some points up till now, her passing is brief. Miriam died there and was buried there. That's all that we see in this chapter. Miriam died there and was buried there. And that's the end of Miriam. And if you scroll on down, not far, not long after, you have the waters of Meribah, Moses striking the rock when Yahweh spoke to Moses and told him to speak to the rock. Now, this is a curious anecdote. It's a curious story. It's a curious case study on the character of God and the character of man in a number of ways. One, because it actually has something of a opposition to the idea that we just do what we've always done, for one thing, but also because God interprets Moses doing his own thing in this context as now Moses having been in some measure infected with the grumbling of the people. Moses has been infected with this idea that he is the one perhaps leading this people, delivering this people out of Israel. In some sense, maybe he is infected with the grumbling of the people against Yahweh because he's going to do his own thing. God tells him to speak to the rock. Moses and Aaron both are supposed to assemble the congregation, take the staff, tell the rock to yield its water, speak to it. And there's a certain hardness of heart. There's a certain stubbornness. There's a certain willfulness. There's a certain rebelliousness to their saying no by their actions. Now think about this for a moment. When a child says to their parent, a little boy says to his mother, no, when his mother tells him to do something. A little girl says to her father, I don't want to, when her father tells her to do something. Think about how that 
strikes us. Now, in this day, maybe we're so numb to disobedient children, but it's actually a very big deal. This is such a big deal that it makes the short list of commandments from God. How children relate to their parents makes the short list. How children relate to their parents is, in some measure, a reflection of how they are going to relate to God, how they already relate to God. In fact, when God has spoken and told children to obey their father and their mother, to honor their father and their mother, for children to disobey their father and mother, dishonor their father and mother, apart from doing so because what they've been told to honor or to obey is contrary, is opposite, is disobedience to God. Apart from that possibility, which does happen, those children are actually disobeying and dishonoring God. And we can come up with lots of reasons, lots of speculation, lots of theories as to why this is the case. But at a very base level, we know that it is the case. And we know that Moses and Aaron haven't said no, or I don't feel like it, or I don't want to, to God in so many words, according to the text, but their actions have communicated that. Like sign language can be its own language. So also what we do in response to a verbal prompt, a command from God or from proper authorities instituted by God, a response to the same can be very much like saying no, or I don't want to. And maybe we don't always know the difference. At a heart level, was this forgetfulness? Was it habit? Was it unintentional? Was it willful? Was it stubborn? Was it, I'm going to do what I want to do? You can't tell me what to do. We may not know the answer to that question from a heart and mind standpoint. All we have to observe is what they do. All we can hear is what they say. But God knows. And apparently God looked at the hearts of Moses and Aaron and pronounced judgment. And he told them they would not see the promised land. And you think about how much they've served and how much they've been through to this point. And if that's your first thought and your last thought, maybe you're missing that this is all about God. This is all about God. And actually, as a matter of fact, they seem to have forgotten that as well. Following shortly after the death of their sister, Miriam, perhaps grief is a part of this. Perhaps anger at the death of their sister is part of this. We don't know. We can speculate based on the context, but what we do know is that they were told to speak to the rock, and they didn't speak to the rock. They struck the rock. And there is an equivalent for us. If God tells us to speak and we strike when he tells us to speak, will we see the promised land? If God tells us to strike and we speak instead of striking, that's no better. The point here is obedience in the particulars, in the details, as God tells us to do what he tells us to do. And this is a very sobering thought for me personally, because one of the 
passages I derive most inspiration and comfort from in Scripture is, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, we see this parable of the talents where Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven, and he's likening it to a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, which is to say God knew that they were able to manage this amount. One has the ability to manage five talents, and another doesn't, and another doesn't. So even just their essential nature, nature or nurture, environment, upbringing, education, competence, character, all of the above, their skills, their knowledge, their understanding, if all of that has also come from the hand of God, God has not blessed them all equally to be able to manage money well, but he went away. The man went on a journey. He went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He doubled his money, or rather, more to the point, he doubled his master's money. So also, verse 17, Matthew 25, he who had the two talents made two talents more. He also doubled his money, which is every bit as good as the one who was able to manage five talents and double that. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants, verse 19, came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That right there, what the faithful servant is told, the good and faithful servant is told, enter now into the joy of your master. What that one is told and the next one is told the same. I carry that with me, and it helps me to stay motivated. It helps me to not grow weary in doing what is good. But I look at this story of Moses and Aaron in a moment of grief, striking the rock instead of speaking to it, and I think, wow, that is a sobering, sobering moment in their life, that they have forgotten who they're serving They have forgotten the goodness of God. In some sense, they are rejecting the goodness of God's command. They're saying, no, that's not good. This thing you are telling us to do is not good. We know better. And what is the consequence? The consequence is that their term of service and leadership is at an end. It's at a close. And then what follows right after? Edom refuses to let Israel pass through. What is going on in Moses' 
heart and in his mind in this moment. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. I really wouldn't. I don't think you would either. Meribah is a great defeat. It's a great failure. It's a sad day for Moses and for Aaron. And then following right after, you have Moses sending messengers to the king of Edom, referring to Israel as his brother, appealing to kinship, asking for safe passage. We're just passing through. The response is stern and defiant and unhospitable. No, no. In fact, not just no, but you have next the Israelites, the people of Israel saying to the king, we will go up by the highway. And if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. And the answer is, again, no. Not just no, but Edom sends out a large army, and they follow up the negative answer with the threat of military force. To the point that Israel turns away. And what's interesting about this is that Israel does not face them, in part because it would seem Israel does not believe that God is with them in this. It's a very curious paragraph. They're just doing their own thing. They're doing their own thing, and they're told no. And they realize, if they're honest, that they don't have the strength to be able to assert themselves with Edom. In some sense, this is an appropriate and humbling moment for Israel, because the descendants of Israel descend from the same stock as the descendants of Edom. In some sense, there's an opportunity cost that they might be feeling in terms of their greatness as a people. Edom has grown powerful, more powerful than Israel. And maybe Israel forgot, and maybe Moses and Aaron forgot who was making them great. Not they themselves. Not inherent worth coming from within themselves, but God was making them great because he was their God and they were his people. And it pleased God to demonstrate his power through their weakness, not for them to boast about how great they were, how mighty they were, how they had accomplished these things on their own. Or if things weren't going the way that they wanted them to, maybe it's all Moses and Aaron's fault. Hey, wait a second. Who brought you to this moment? Wasn't it God? Isn't it God who wants you to experience something, learn something, endure something, understand something in this moment? Who are you actually rejecting here? It's not Moses and Aaron. And then when it's Moses and Aaron doing their own thing, it's not just that they're making a decision. It's that they're making a decision to do their own thing and to embrace the narrative of the people, ultimately. The people keep relating to Moses and Aaron as if Moses and Aaron are the source of the greatness and the success to this point and actually the failures as well. And so what is the rebuke? What is the chiding? What is the angry 
complaint, the bitter reproof from Moses. It is, you rebels, because you did not believe in me, God says to Moses and Aaron, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. It says here in verse 13, the people of Israel quarreled with Yahweh, and through them he showed himself holy. And he shows himself holy in not blessing them as they do their own thing in verses 14 through 21. And then what happens? You have this very humbling, very sad moment with the death of Aaron. He's taken up on Mount Hor with the whole congregation watching, and he is defrocked, and the mantle is passed to his son, and there he dies. And the oddest reaction from Israel, so double-minded, the oddest reaction is Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. They're a mess, but God knows what he's doing. God is not a mess. God knows what he's doing. And that's true in their case. That's true in our case. That's important for us to remember. But like I said, that's all the time I've got for this episode. This was going to be a shorter one. It is a shorter one. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.